Hey there, welcome to Tea with Mara. Thanks for seeking out these recordings and listening. My name is George, or you may know me in the metaverse as Kiyoki from Together with Trip. These recordings are from my live sessions in virtual reality and may sometimes feature other content. For the best experience of these sessions, you can join me in virtual reality. But when you can't, or if you want to go back and listen again, these audio or video recordings will be offered freely to all. To join us in VR or for the live broadcast on our Discord server, you can find our full schedule of events by visiting trip.com events, including instructions on how to join us in VR. You can even join in 2D mode from a computer. If you wish to support my teachings and these recordings, the best way to do that is to leave a review and share this podcast with others. And if you find value in them and you want to, you can make a donation offering right through the Two Hands Sangha website or soon through the podcast itself. All links should be found in the show notes. Now let's invite the bell and begin. Welcome in and thank you for being here for right now. It's like this. Um, Thank you for joining us in here, you know, in person, so to speak, (laughs) or in the discord or whenever you might be listening to this. I've, I've been on kind of a, a, a nice sort of lengthy series of talks lately, which have all been sort of dovetailing one off of the next off of the next and uh, it's been it's been kind of nice for me because it's made it a lot easier for me to sort of decide what to talk about and then today when i was pondering what i might say tonight you know here in our time together there was a moment where i was kind of having trouble finding the signal as my teacher would say my teacher venerable panawati she's she's always talking about looking for the signal and listening for the signal and there's, you know, there's often for me sort of a common thread that I can kind of easily see weaving throughout my week. But this week I wasn't finding that when I was trying to think of it. And the things I've been sort of talking to people about and watching my friends deal with and whatnot have all been kind of all over the place. Everybody's kind of got a lot of different things going on. And then someone said something that sort of teased out the thread I had been looking for. My mom used to sew and she had this little thing that she used to use to pick apart knots and uh, or pull out a stitch. And I think it was actually called a stitch puller. (laughs) But the comment, and I don't even remember what it was now, but that comment was like that for me. It had the effect of loosening up all the various threads of my week and pulling them apart, all the knots. And getting them loosened up so that I could see what I was looking for. And I realized that the common thread throughout the week, even though everything seemed different, the common thread was, you know, that was underneath all of that was the commonality of either delusion or clinging with regard to the eight worldly winds. 
what the Buddha called the vicissitudes of life. So I thought tonight it was time for, you know, my sort of annual or semi-annual massive Bob talk. Some of you, maybe most of you have heard this talk before, although it'll be different a little bit tonight. Uh, there's still going to be a little bit of Miley Cyrus and a little bit, well, actually, I, I started to say there will be a little bit of Rilke poetry, but I, I think I'll, I might make it through tonight, maybe for the first time ever without quoting Rilke to you. I don't know. But there's some 12-year-old boy humor lurking underneath the surface of this, but I'll try and surprise you with a few different things in this talk, too, if, in case you've heard it before. Sometimes we might think, you know, oh, I've heard this talk before. I don't need to stick around for this one. And, you know, that's a mistake because, some, you know, the talks, you can listen to the same talk over and over again. And what you find is that the talk may be the same, but you're different. <laughs> you might be different than the last time you heard the talk. And so it lands differently for you, hopefully. <laughs> so I would gently and politely suggest that if we, if we think we don't need to hear it again, uh, you know, we might be wrong about that <laughs> because if I, if, if we, if we didn't need to hear it again, I probably wouldn't have this common thread running throughout my week of conversations I've had and whatnot. So let's get into it. Uh, a very simple way of looking at the Buddhist path is, or, or the Dharma path, if you don't like the B word, is to see the whole thing in sort of a three-dimensional model like a pendulum. Then you can imagine on, on the bottom at the base, a, a compass rose. Some of you might remember back in our alt space days, the campfire that we had in, in the Evolver world where Tom often held his events. And in the center of that space was a stage. And on that stage was a beautiful inlay of a compass rose. And of course, it had the cardinal directions of north, south, east, and west, and the intercardinal directions. Um, and in the cardinal directions out in the woods, there were little clearings where there would be a roaring campfire, which works perfectly for my imagery tonight. So let's imagine for our purposes that every one of those eight directions had a big roaring campfire, the cardinal and the intercardinal directions. And hopefully you have this image in your mind, the big wilderness space with the clearing in the middle and the little clearings out at the points, the campfires. And up in the sky of that space, in alt space, we had a moon that would sort of slowly move across the sky. But for our purposes tonight, let's imagine that that moon is sitting still directly overhead and not moving right in the center. And at the top of that moon, seated on top of it in perfect stillness, is the Buddha, unmoving, not swayed by anything. And imagine that from the bottom of that unmoving moon, imagine that there's like a a rod that hangs straight down to the ground. In pendulum terms, that rod is called the massless rod, a rather unfortunate name, which my inner 12-year-old struggles not to comment on. And suspended from the bottom of that uh, rod is a giant weight, which in pendulum terms is our good friend, the massive Bob. He's actually a bad friend. We don't like to hang out with him. 
Now the Buddha at the very top where the massless rod hangs from underneath that moon, the Buddha on top of the moon, he would be in pendulum terms, what they call the frictionless pivot. Meaning that, as I said before, he sits perfectly still unswayed. Okay. So we have our big 3d alt space inspired, you know, model in our minds now, hopefully. And this model is basically a model of almost everything you need to know about the middle path for the most part. And certainly it has all of the critical things and we'll talk about most of that tonight. This image that we have constructed here, keep it in your mind and let it be the focus tonight, even when we get into the meditation period later. But this image is an example of how the vicissitudes of life work, just like a pendulum. The pendulum is just what works for me to think of it in a very simple way. But the idea in the Dharma is that these eight worldly winds constitute a, a really deep concept that, that kind of illustrates the dualistic nature of our lives, you know. And these are pairs of opposites that affect our lives and our spiritual practice and that cause our minds to sort of oscillate with highs and lows, you know. No matter how much we want it to stay one way or never be the other way, it's always going to change. And no matter how much we want it to be, no, no matter how much we might want to be ignorant to all of that, we might want to just pretend like it's not existing. Uh, it's always going to be there. <laughs> and, you know, speaking of being ignorant of it all, let's add one more thing to our model. Let's just say for fun that underneath that massive bob, which is currently sitting still, <laughs> underneath it, there's just enough space for an ostrich to be there with his head buried in the sand, pretending that none of this is happening. And he'll be our representation of ignorance, what the Buddha called ignorance. And he didn't mean stupidity. We tend to think of the word ignorant as stupid or something like that. Ignorance in the Dharma means, you know, ignoring, you know, delusion. Anyhow, the eight worldly winds are gain and loss. We'll say that's north and south. Fame and ill repute, or you might say fame and shame, as my teacher does. She likes to rhyme. <laughs> we'll say that's east and west. There's praise and blame, and uh, those are, you know, one pair of the intercardinal directions, like maybe northeast and southwest. And then there's pleasure and pain taking up northwest and southeast. So now you've got those things on your model, taking up those different points. Each of these conditions and their impact on our lives and how we navigate through them with mindfulness and equanimity, hopefully, <laughs> is what represents how we're doing in life. How we're, you know, are we, are we ripped and swung wildly by the world, laughing one moment and crying the next? feeling all the extremes of those gains and losses and pleasures and pains? Or are we the perfect stillness at the top of the moon, the frictionless pivot of the Buddha? Probably not that. The truth is we're usually somewhere in the middle of the two, although sometimes we're at the bottom. <laughs> we're probably not at the top. Does anybody remember those little 
straw charms that people used to put on their drink straws at parties to make sure they didn't lose their drink. My dad bought my mom some one time that looked like little male strippers to put on the straws. And then maybe that's where I get my 12 year old humor from is my dad. But anyhow, you know, we're kind of, we're kind of the little Chippendales guys on the uh, straws (laughs) somewhere between the top and the bottom hanging on that massless rod, desperately trying to climb our way to the top so that we can get some of that stillness and not swing so wildly back and forth between those roaring fires. And we have gain and loss in our lives. You know, we have here in relative reality, often we'll find ourselves chasing desperately after the gains. We want, we want the wins, you know, the W's. Whether it's wealth or possessions or achievements or fears and losses or the other side. We try to avoid those. So on the one end, we have, you know, wealth and possessions and achievements. And on the other end, the fears and losses and lack of achievement. We try to avoid all that. However, both gain and loss are impermanent. These are impermanent states. And the Dharma teaches us to observe the conditions of these things without attaching to them. When we experience gain, we can appreciate it without clinging to it. And we can recognize that it's transient. You know, it's changing. And in the same way, when we face losses, we can learn to accept it without despair. Recognizing that it will also change. It's a part of life's natural flow. And that can help us maintain some of that inner peace, regardless of whatever's going on out there, you know, out in the world. That can, that's how we move up that straw, up that, uh, (laughs) up that massless rod. When we chase after those gains, we're all the way at the bottom, swinging wildly like Miley Cyrus on her wrecking ball. And, you know, we swing back and forth over those roaring fires. And, you know, we experience every bit of it. We experience all the wildly exciting stuff and all of the terrible stuff. And one minute we're laughing and the next minute we're crying. And, You know, if we're swinging over the pleasure side, just when we start to like it and we start thinking, man, I could get used to this. I need this. What happens? Gravity. (laughs) Karma. If we swing way out in one direction, we will just as surely swing back in the other direction. And what's waiting for us over there on the opposite side of gain? Loss. Ouch. But if we can appreciate the gains without clinging to them, understanding that it's, you know, impermanent and that it's going to change again soon, if we can face the losses and accept them without despair, knowing that, you know, we're going to once more swing the other direction, then we gain something more than riches. We gain equanimity. We move our little 
straw marker Chippendale up the massless rod a little further. Now, by the way, we've got this three-dimensional model in our heads, I hope, of this pendulum. And you're at the, if you're at the bottom, that degree of swing that you experience in pendulum terms is called amplitude. And your amplitude when you're at the bottom is as big and wide as it gets. <laughs> That's not good. <laughs> but if you imagine a giant hand reaches into this 3D model and uh, nudges your little Chippendale straw marker up the massless rod a bit, let's say a third of the way up, your amplitude, the width of your swing, when these, whenever these events hit of gain and loss, is going to be much less. It's the same exact events with the same exact wild swing if you're at the end. But if you're further up that massless rod of the pendulum. Okay, so amplitude we were talking about. You know, the width of the swing between the events of gain and loss. You know, if you're down at the bottom, that amplitude is very extreme. It's as wide as it can be. And you feel all of that, you know. If you're a third of the way up, you have less wild of a swing, but you can still see the same events taking place in your life. You have actually a better view of them because you're higher up looking down, so to speak. And you can see the same events, but you're not blown away with the, you know, severity and wildness and craziness of it all. Like I could have, you know, if that had happened to me many years ago, just now with all of the headset issues, I would have been panicking and my blood would have rushed to my face. I would have started sweating and I would have been sort of, you know, very upset. And probably there would have been a lot of cussing. Instead, I'm singing John Denver and, you know, trying to get things switched around. <laughs> and I knew that when I came back, you'd be here and, and everything was fine. It's really not a big deal, you know. So that's exactly what we're talking about. My amplitude was narrower than it would be if I was at the bottom. So in gaming, when you get really upset, they call it tilt. So your tilt or your reaction is less wild when you're further up that massless rod of the, of the uh, pendulum. And you start to see why this pendulum is such a great example for this, right? There's fame and shame, which is the next pair of opposite points on our 3D model. And um, the desire for fame and the fear of shame, usually you don't hear it as shame. You'll hear it as ill repute or maybe obscurity. But again, my teacher likes to rhyme, so fame and shame. <laughs> and the, these, the desires and the fears of these can really influence our actions and our self-esteem with this. Fame is fleeting. It's dependent upon the perception of others. And fame doesn't mean famous. It just means, you know, fame in terms of you're getting your 15 minutes kind of thing. Shame, on the other hand, is often seen as a lack of recognition or importance. So fame could just be getting praise in your job and that kind of thing, although that might fall under praise and blame. <laughs> The Buddhist path encourages us to find value in our own inherent worth, our intrinsic worth, and rely on our actions in, for, their, for their own sake. 
you know, rely on our actions for the sake of our actions rather than seeking some sort of external validation for that. By focusing on the inner qualities of, you know, and intentions of these, um, you know, we can stay grounded whether we're in the spotlight or in the shadows. And again, if we're managing to do that, you know, to be more okay with less attention and to be proud of but not attached to our pride in our accomplishments, then we move a little further up that unfortunately named massless rod. And then there's praise and blame, which like I mentioned earlier and like the others, are two sides of the same coin. Often, you know, it's based on subjective opinions of other people. Praise can be uplifting. Attachment to praise can lead to vanity. And it can lead to a constant need for approval. You know, conversely, fear of blame can also lead us to anxiety. It can deter us from acting according to our values. The Dharma teaches us to listen to feedback with an open heart, but also to root ourselves in a sense of ethical conduct and sort of selfless and self-aware sense of being beyond the fleeting opinion of other people. And if we can do that, then Chippendale climbs a little higher on that massless rod. His amplitude reduces a little more. Now, when the massive Bob is roasting over one of those fires, you know, we're up there seeing it all from a distance, a little less affected by it all, but still aware of it all. Our praise is appreciated, but not gloated upon. Our blame is acknowledged and addressed instead of making us panicked and scared. Things are getting easier. Life feels like we're suffering a little less. And this is a good point, you know, when you're on the, like, gains or pleasure side of things, you feel the same way. But the difference is it's impermanent and you're going to swing back the other way. When you feel that same kind of feeling, but you're, but you're feeling it from a sense of equanimity, then it's not going to change as much. It's going to have a, less, a lesser amplitude. So that's a really critical point. And then, of course, pleasure and pain. The pursuit of pleasure and the avoidance of pain are totally normal human tendencies. I, I wouldn't even call them tendencies. I would say that they're more like primal wiring. The truth, uh, however, is that both are temporary, just like all the rest. And they can lead to suffering if we become attached to them, just like all the rest. Pleasure is not a lasting source of happiness. And pain, while it's uncomfortable, it can be valuable uh, and can teach us things and give us some growth. Even though, of course, it's not fun, necessarily. The Dharma encourages us to accept both pleasure and pain without attaching to them, viewing them as temporary conditioned phenomena, like everything else. When we use the tools of practice, such as mindfulness, we can observe these sensations and appreciate them for what they are without being, you know, overtaken by them, which leads to more skillful understanding and compassion for ourselves and for others. And 
you know, this dyad, pleasure and pain, all of them really have a myriad of other similar things in between them, just like there are many directions between north and northeast. And I pause here a little bit and point this out because it's one where so many of us uh, stumble, either thinking that things will never be good again, that this pain or suffering will last forever, or almost more dangerous or equally dangerous, we think that pleasure means the end of pain. We have come out of pain and into pleasure and we're bathing in that pleasurable good spot, you know, and we're easily prone and quickly able to forget that this good stuff is also impermanent. Which sounds a bit doom and gloom, and you're absolutely not, you know, you, you should absolutely fully enjoy that pleasurable time. And you definitely should never waste that pleasurable time thinking about, oh, I can't enjoy this because the bad is coming. You know, you shouldn't think of it that way either. But don't make the deadly mistake of clinging to it. Then you're just, you know, then your Chippendale slides all the way down the massive, you know, massless rod to the massive Bob. <laughs> and he starts his whole Miley Cyrus act again, you know. If you, if you listen to this talk later on in, you know, in the podcast format or something, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that last bit again. Because that thing about getting into a pleasurable place and thinking it's going to last forever, it happens to all of us. And, and it's, uh, I mean, it's no more or less true than any of the others, but for some reason that pleasure one, we tend to think, oh, thank goodness, I'm, I've made it to the pleasure, now I'm good. That's not how it works, right? So you gotta, you gotta enjoy it, <laughs> but you have to be aware that it changes like everything else. And when it changes back the other way, remember that that's going to change. It's not going to be bad forever. Now, I hope this whole image that I've used tonight makes sense. And I hope a little bit of the humor helped lock it in and give you a way to relate to these sort of serious topics in a way that makes it a little easier for you. Because this stuff is really crucial. The key to navigating these eight worldly winds is, is sort of nestled right there in the development of mindfulness and equanimity. Mindfulness allows you to have the space, you know, the, the, the other practices allow you to make the choices that are skillful in that space. And equanimity is the fruit, the climbing up toward that still and serene place where the Buddha sits on top of that moon where you're able to see and be present with all of those wild swings, but there is no amplitude. It's at zero. You're not pushed and pulled by them as it swings wildly from one to the other, but you're still present with all of it. Mindfulness allows us to observe the experiences and the reactions without all of the judgment, giving us a degree of clarity and insight. And equanimity or mental calmness develops and strengthens and it enables us to sort of face all these ups and downs that life throws at us with a bit of balance and grace. So I had a lengthy meditation planned, but we lost a bit of that time. So let's meditate for just a little bit. It's going to be shorter than I'd like, but 
Let's meditate for a little while. And if it works for you, I encourage you to use that image of the pendulum that we built tonight. Find a way to sit or rest and be comfortable. Something that allows you to stay alert and awake, but no, not rigid, not uptight, just relaxed. You can allow your eyes to close. You can let your hands sit in your lap or by your sides or hold the controllers in your hands if you like. Take some nice deep breaths in and long, slow out breaths. Each one calming the mind and relaxing the belly. And with each of those deep breaths, each of those long out breaths, release any tensions or worries that you feel, anything you can. And in your mind's eye, if you imagine that pendulum that we talked about, the open clearing with the compass rose in the center and you know that compass rose represents sort of the events of your life each direction uh, symbolizes the extremes that life throws at you for each of those things gain and loss and fame and shame praise and blame pleasure and pain And above it all, way up in the sky, imagining that luminous moon with the Buddha sitting above it in perfect serenity. You can imagine yourself sitting in the place of equilibrium. I didn't mention that, but when the pendulum is not swinging, when the massive bob is hanging still in the middle at the bottom, we call that equilibrium, which is interesting. It's very close to equanimity, right? And it means kind of the same thing because the massive bob is sitting still between all of those extremes. But for the Dharma, we go up, not still in that bottom. We don't sit still in the bottom. We sit still at the top. But the bob at the bottom feels the pull of the cardinal directions and the intercardinal directions, you know. And you can acknowledge these forces and know that they're pulling you one way and the other and not judge them. Just observe their presence and their power. Observe their pulling and pushing. And as the Massive Bob starts swinging towards these more and more, further and further, more extreme from one end to the other. You notice that as quickly as it swings one way, it swings back the other way with just as much force. And it changes. 
And if you are guided by what Thich Nhat Hanh called habit energy, meaning you're delusional, meaning that you don't pay attention to these things like mindfulness, then you're not really thinking about it. You're just experiencing all of it. In it. Stuck in it. The wild extremes. Full-blown. Roasting over those fires at the cardinal directions and (laughs) all of that. But as you bring mindfulness in, you start breathing, you start, you know, calming and focusing. You bring your awareness to those feelings of pleasure, of pain, of gain and loss and, you know, fame and shame and all of that. You start bringing your attention to those things then you're already gaining some spaciousness. And that spaciousness is already giving you the ability to make skillful choices. In the Dharma, we call it skillful means. And when you're able to make choices, even it doesn't matter how big or little they are, you know, You know, somebody somebody compliments you at work and you want to sort of, you know, wear that trophy (laughs) around. But you also know, like, okay, yeah, I did do good. I did do that thing really well. But there's also going to come a time where something happens that I don't and I need to not cling to that. I need to be proud because I did well, not because uh, somebody told me I did well. And I need to know that the same person that's congratulating me today will be on my tail tomorrow if I go the other way, (laughs) which inevitably occurs. Nothing lasts forever. That's the lesson today. Nothing lasts forever. Except for the kind of happiness of the Buddha sitting at the top of the moon where the frictionless pivot is. Unswayed by the extremes, but still part of them. This is where the danger of nihilistic views come in. Sometimes people think that detachment is the same as non-attachment. And those words do get used interchangeably, but they're not the same thing. You could use whatever words you want, but... uh, Apathy and non-attachment are not the same thing. You can fully enjoy the pleasure and fully benefit and, and learn from the pain But you don't have to be attached to either one of them. You don't have to, you also don't have to pretend that either of them don't exist. It's the difference of desire versus craving. Want versus need.
and we start reflecting on the nature of impermanence and how everything is in a constant state of flux, gain turns to loss and fame to shame, praise to blame and back again, pleasure to pain. You start to recognize that it's all just experiences, clouds that are passing through the sky, and you're the sky, not the clouds. You're the ocean, not the waves. This gives you compassion. You know, I I was talking before we started tonight, I was talking about there was a, a threat at my daughter's school today and a child was arrested. And I was saying it's kind of an unpopular opinion, but just as I was scared for my daughter and protective of her, I was equally sad about the young man that got arrested. I was sad that know, what his life must be that he thinks that that's a thing that's worthy to do. I'm glad nothing came of it. But when I thought of him, I didn't think of him with anger. I didn't think of him with hatred for endangering my daughter. I thought of him as, man, what what's his life like that he... Uh, felt like that was what was necessary. Whether it was a cry for attention or, you know, who knows. But that's, I can tell you from my own direct experience in a span of decades, that that's a way of looking at it that for me doesn't come naturally. I have to cultivate that way of looking at it. <laughs> I don't think I was, I, I often say my wife is a natural Buddhist. I'm, I'm have, I have to work at it. She's not a Buddhist, but she's naturally compassionate. I have to work really hard to find compassion for people like that. But I'm happy to say that if that had happened 20 years ago, I would have said fry him. And now 20 years later, I can feel bad for this person and wish good for him. And I can want to understand his suffering instead of condemning him. Doesn't mean I don't want him to, you know, reap the fruit of his karma. (laughs) But it means that I care what got him there. And that's something that comes from a position further up on the pendulum, 
further up that massless rod because when you're down at the massive bob end of things, <laughs> it's harder to have that kind of compassion. You're still here? It's over. Go practice. Go. Chicken.